listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Now, some of y'all enjoy storms. You enjoy that kind of weather. Um, some of y'all just like watching about that, watching it on television, right? Uh, there's a couple different types of meteorologists. Uh, for starters, they're all quite inaccurate. So that's like the, you know, common denominator. Uh, but other than that, there's a couple different types of meteorologists. One type of meteorologist is the kind who is mainly in the studio. They're right there behind a desk telling you what's happening outside of that building. There's a second type of meteorologist, and these are the ones that are really fun to watch, especially when a hurricane is coming to touch down. And those are the meteorologists who are out there in the eye of the storm, right? You see them, and they're standing there, and they've got this umbrella <laughs> for some reason, you know, so I guess the microphone doesn't get wet. It's got this huge thing. And so, but there's just rain pouring, and they're sitting here, and they're bracing, and they're telling you about the storm like this. And I guess they do that for ratings. I'm not sure. But when you watch, you're like, that dude's about to die. They're about to get blown away. And, and I don't, I mean, the, but at least you know, here's the type of storm that this is. You see the wind and the rain and the hell and things behind them are blowing from one side to the other, you know, like small buildings. It's crazy. So when we look at the Psalms, there are a couple of different types of Psalms that we see here. Uh, we said this a few weeks ago, but the primary Psalm that we see more than any other Psalm is a Psalm of lament. Most of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, out of 150, most of them are sad psalms. But the psalms, by and large, they cover all areas of life. But for, but for many of us, if I said, what really is kind of the, the nature of your life? Is it mostly positive, sitting behind a desk in a, in a studio, talking about something else? Or is it out there in the middle of these gale force winds? You're like, yeah, that's where I live. That's where I work. That's what my home looks like. That's what my family life looks like. That's what my inner life looks like. And that's why I think that most of the psalms are actually psalms of lament. They're actually psalms of crying out to God. And so as we look this morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 88. I want us to see that the author of this psalm, his name is He-Man, which is kind of cool. I thought I was putting a picture up, but He-Man is the name of the guy who wrote this psalm. This guy is out there in the middle of the storm. He's not sitting in the studio desk saying, uh, let me write some theological truths about you this morning uh, as we cut over here to this uh, information that I have on my green screen. No, he's out there in the middle of these winds. He's getting hammered. So as we look at this, there are a couple different approaches. Maybe this morning you're like, yeah, that's where my life is. Right now, the things that are howling around me, like we just read about right here, maybe there are issues in your family where you're dealing with adultery. Maybe you're dealing with some sort of sin. Maybe someone, um, there's someone who's sick in your life. Maybe someone has just passed away. Maybe you're dealing with uh, the loss of a job. Maybe you're completely out of money right now. Maybe you're about to move. Maybe you want to move. Maybe you can't move. Whatever that is, you're like, man, that's where I am. I am in the middle of desperation. For others of you, you're like, man, life is pretty good right now. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So for some of y'all, y'all are going to be like, man, that is the psalm I needed this morning on June 27th, 2021. For some of y'all, this is going to be more like when you get on an airplane and the stewardesses, they, they, they come forward and they do the little demonstration of here's how you do the seatbelt. 
And it's about that time that everybody kind of checks out, you know? You're like, I've still got my headphones in. Because you maybe seen it before. I've seen it, you know, at this point over a hundred times. You see them, and if the air mask, you know, the air, you know, oxygen mask comes down, here's what you put on yourself first and your kids and somebody else, whatever. So for some of you, it's just like, yeah, I don't really need this right now. But rest assured, at some point in your life, maybe sooner rather than later, you're going to need to go back to Psalm chapter 88. And so if you don't need this today, listen for the sake of when you do need it. I want us to walk away with this. It's okay to not be okay when you pray. That was almost like you got to pray just to make it today. I tried. I tried real hard. Some of you are like, I don't know who that is. It's all right. Um, it's not hammer time right now. So uh, it's okay to not be okay when you pray. And so we've been looking at the psalm so far, and we see that these are prayers to God. But that's what I want us to see this morning. So Psalm chapter 88, I'm going to walk us through the passage um, quickly, and then I want us to come back and, and look at some of the big points that the author here is making. And so Chris mentioned last week as he preached, it says right there at the beginning of the psalm, it says that this is a mass skill. Now, he mentioned the fact that that can mean covering. And I would say, yes, we don't, we don't really know what it means. It could be a, a musical term that's there in the Hebrew. We're not really sure. What we do know is that this, this prayer is probably, as a covering, it was probably spoken very softly. And even as it was sung by maybe thousands of people, it was sung quietly. Because at this point, as this is written, and as the congregation would read, and as they would sing this, there's no more hope. They've lost all hope. They're sitting here out of desperation, singing these words and saying these words. So as we read these words, I want to keep that in mind. That's the direction and that's the, the, the timbre of this song, is that there's no hope left. The author begins in verse number one, and there's a, I put a breakdown on the screen for you, but there, there's really three parts of this, of this psalm, and the first one that we're going to see right here in the first eight and a half verses is abandon. So we see the author's heart here. He moves from abandon to argument to accusation. So we begin in verse number one. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the, the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. So let's go back and just look at this first part, this abandon. And we're kind of breaking it at kind of a weird point. But we see here he begins this passage, and then he says the same thing, and then he picks up again in verse number 13. Each one of these sections, he says, I cry out to you. So look back at verse number one with me, if you would. He says, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you. That word cry, it's not just whining, complaining. This is about as intense as it gets in the Hebrew language. It's intense expression of deep pain. 
Now, when you look at verse number one and maybe even verse number two, it's like, oh, this is going to be just like a normal psalm. It, it can be mostly happy at this point. But just when we look at verse number one, understand that's where optimism both begins and ends. It's all very much downhill from there. So he says, I cry out day and night before you. I have not ceased in crying out. Verse three, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. And this is what the Old Testament writers would understand this is not just the grave, but this is hell. This is the other side. This is the afterlife. This is complete separation of God. So he's saying that's where it feels like the innermost part of my being is. Verse 4, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. Now he doesn't say Sheol there. This word pit right there, he's not talking about some sort of uh, special afterlife. He means literally, I feel like I'm in a hole or I feel like I'm in a grave. I feel like I can't move physically, spiritually, emotionally. Now, at any point, does he, man, it's just always fun to say, does he, man, does he ever talk about why he feels this way? No, he never does. We don't know if it's some sort of spiritual attack. We don't know if it's physical pain. We don't know if it's emotional anguish. We don't know why he's in this situation. We don't know if it's because of sin. It's because of something else that someone has done to him. If it's because of something outside of his control, if someone has died, we have no idea. We just know right here, this dude is afflicted. His whole life is afflicted. It feels like he's literally laying in a grave. It feels like his soul has already go, gone down into hell, into Sheol. He's a man with no strength. Verse number five, like one set loose among the dead. Literally, that word set loose right there, it means forsaken. Or it means to be freed. So, so here's the ironic part. He says, the only way that I feel free is when I'm completely separated from the earth. I only, you ever been there? Like this is, what is the point of this? He says, this is where I am right now. And, and as we look at these, these psalms of lament, we, we keep walking and you're just like, man, this is, this is terrible. I've been set loose. There are no more ties to the earth. This is, this is a cry from sorrow, a cry of pain. And it almost feels inappropriate. You're like, how is he talking to God like this? Because he is not just talking to one of his friends. He's talking specifically, we saw it in verse number one. Who's he talking to? Yahweh, Redeemer God. He's talking to the creator of the universe like this. But, but here's what's crazy. Cynicism, which I may have been accused of in the past, it runs away from the situation. Cynicism is like, man, this, this can't get any better. I'm moving away from this. Is that what he's doing right here? No, he's pressing into the face of God. He's getting in God's face saying, what is the deal? Why have you done this to me? We see it in verse number six. He starts talking about you. You've done this. He says you or yours six times in those three verses. He said, this is your fault. You're the reason that I'm here. There's nothing worse than the silent treatment, is there? If you're married, you're like, that's true. <laughs> and it's also your greatest tactic. But what somebody really wants and, and what God is okay with, he's saying, don't give me the silent treatment. Come and scream in my face. I'd rather get through this. I'd rather know how you feel. God is not concerned because we express ourselves to him. Where God is most concerned for us is when we run away from him, when we run away from his face. So here he says, this Psalm of Lament is not, hey, I'm running away, I'm going over here, and I'm hiding all by myself. No, he's saying, God, why have you done this? I'm torn up emotionally. Verse number six. Again, the problem is not necessarily something physical, something tangible. 
The problem is God. He says, you have brought me into the depths. And if you look back at verse number five, for they have cut off, they've been cut off from your hand. That's as bad as it gets. Verse six, you put me in the depths of the pit. Now again, he's not saying I'm literally in a pit. It just feels like that. You, you can dig a, a hole in the ground and it can go super deep. But as some of y'all know, there's a bottomless pit in our souls. And sometimes it feels like it's just never going to end. And here he's saying, I'm sinking deeper, deeper, deeper down into this pit. And I just can't reach the bottom. I almost wish I could. The, the physical body can take so much wounding because it, be, before it eventually gives up, before you die. But the soul can experience affliction 10,000 times and still experience more. Charles Spurgeon said, your soul can die over and over in the same hour. Anybody been there? Maybe you're there this morning. If you are, that's where this author is. He's saying everything seems lost. I'm in the bottom of this pit, this pit, and it's God's fault. Look at the second half of verse number six. I'm in the regions, dark and deep. Literally, that means he feels like he's in a dungeon. He feels like he's been shut in. He can't even get out. Verse seven, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. And it's not just like, hey, these waves keep hitting me. There in the Hebrew, that you, you overwhelm me with your waves. He's saying, you are answering my prayer and you're answering this problem. You're afflicting me with the, these waves. They're coming at me specifically. But then he says, Selah. And for, as we read this, for us as the audience, we know that's just a time to stop and to rest. And it's like, man, just sit and ponder that for a second. This is a much needed time of, just grab a breath and just be there with this guy. Just be there and just like, yeah, I understand that. That is a very difficult place to be. It's, it's like if you're a swimmer out in the ocean. We were at the ocean um, about a week and a half ago. And it's, it's like he's, he's called out there and these waves are coming one after the other and he can't touch the bottom. And so finally there's just like a, a small break in the waves and the swimmer's coming up just for breath. And then he looks in the distance, coming quickly at him is yet another wave. That's what that Selah is. It's like, man, take a breath and get ready. There's more coming. That's only the first seven verses. Th this is not a, as we've read this so far, so consider. Sometimes we're like, well, let me, what, can you help me analyze this uh, passage a little bit better so I can more understand the Hebrew and the, uh, the, the syntax that's happening? That's not what he's doing. He's not writing a thesis sentence for a seminary class. He's saying, he's writing a journal entry, and he's saying, this is how I feel. And he's praying it to God. You see, God doesn't want your well-crafted sentences and your precisely organized theological statements. And God doesn't say, you know what? The way you phrase that sentence, uh, if you look over here at Romans chapter 5, I don't know if I actually agree with that. He's not saying that. I mean, this guy doesn't even have Romans chapter 5. So this guy is just saying, God, let me just tell you everything about the way that I feel. And then it's just like, Selah, I just got to grab a breath. But then we pick up in verse number eight. You have caused my companions to shun me. 
You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Literally, that right there, that cannot escape, he, in the Hebrew means that there is a casket being built around this guy. So he's in a pit, he's in a hole, he's in a grave, he's in Sheol, he's in a dungeon, and now he's like, I'm, I'm in a casket. And I feel like I'm already dead and, and the sides are being put on me. Like, that's it, I'm, I'm done. There, there's no hope. Then he finishes this section right here and he says, my eye grows dim through sorrow. Now, it doesn't say my age of vitality. So if your eye is, is bright and you can see the light, and we just got through singing uh, three songs that talk about the light of Christ. Christ stepped down into darkness so that we could be redeemed into light. We just sang about this. He's saying, I'm completely discouraged. There's nothing vital about me. My eyes show nothing but sorrow. There's no hope. So when it says, my eye grows dim through sorrow, he's saying, I'm hopeless. So we see first the abandon. This guy feels completely abandoned, but then we see the argument, and we see how he turns really on God right there. He begins to, um, he says, Here, here's why I feel this way. Here's what you've done. The second half of verse number nine, again, the reason we break it there is because every day I call upon you, the same language for I cry out to you. Uh, second half of verse number nine, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? D do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? You see here, for us, we, we would quote, you know, sometimes in the middle of things, people are like, man, I'm just, I'm just so discouraged. Uh, well, brother, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21, and be blessed and, and go and be multiplied. Like, and it's just like, oh, well, that, that helps so much. Thank you for reminding me. When was Philippians written? Was it before or after Psalm chapter 88? About a thousand years later, right? And so we can't expect these Old Testament believers and saints to have, to be able to pass a, a New Testament exam. They don't have that information yet. And so we're, they're still living in this post-fall era. And so for them, that's why we have this imagery of death. Death is as bad as it gets. That's it. We want to avoid death. And it's not like, oh, yeah, if, if, if you die, if you live or die, yeah, no big deal. No. What, what, what has God done so far for his people? We look at Joseph. When his brothers threw him into the hole, did God just say, ah, to live as Christ and die as game? No, he goes and he redeems him. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, did he say, oh, man, you, 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 know, you sleep in the bed that you make. You know, like, ah, well, you know, get what you pay for. Like, no, he says, no, I don't want you to die. I want to go and redeem you because death is bad. We see it with King David, who's wrote some other Psalms. He redeems him. He rescues him physically because death is bad. So when we see here, we understand that death is the enemy. Death is bad. He, God doesn't just save us through death, but God saves us from death. And you're like, yeah, but what about my situation right now? Here, here's the beautiful thing. And some of us are going through some, some tough stuff. A lot of you are going through way more difficult things than I'm going through and that I've ever been through in my life. I, I get that. But God is in the business of restoring marriages. God is in the business of redeeming relationships. God is in the business of providing for the poor, for these physical needs. 
Now, does he always do that? Does it always work out well? No, it doesn't. That's why we have Psalms, like Psalm chapter 88. So even in the middle of that, we can run to him and cry and say, God, why is this happening? Because of sin, because of the fall. Death is bad. Death is the, really here, from this understanding, from this perspective, is the ultimate bad thing that happened because of the fall. So when you look at those situations in your life, we don't turn to God and say, God, why did you make this happen? No, God wants to restore those things. And he can, if he, if he wants to, he could snap his fingers and boom, there it is. But he hasn't, and we don't understand his mind. But we know that those things, those bad things in our lives happen because of sin. The same cause as the fall. So we keep going. Verse number 13, and we see here the third part of this, the accusation. And now uh, He-Man begins to not just say, God, where are you? He doesn't just say, hey, let me, let me tell you about all these things. Let me argue with you. But he says, God, this is your fault. Verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. Again, same beginning, intro to this section. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. So go back and let's look at so verse number 13. Now, some of you are like, man, I don't, most of my life has been good. Some of us come from the perspective where uh, some, of, some of us even currently have family members who are incredibly sick. Some of us have recently just come out of the hospital because of sickness. And even in the middle of that, and I, if I showed you my, my text from the past two weeks of people in our church body, it's just like every day there's something else Someone struggling with sin, another marriage that's on the rocks, somebody who's, who's struggling with alcohol, somebody who's sick and possibly on their deathbed, somebody who's, whose heart is stopping for seconds on end, somebody who can't breathe, somebody who's got pneumonia, somebody even like Laura Sawyer, it's like, is it COVID? Is it pneumonia? Is it malaria? Is it, man, what in the world? It's just one thing after the other. For some of us, we struggled you struggled with, um, with suffering and sorrow just inside of your mind for years and decades. And sometimes it's unexplainable. And you've laid in bed and you've thought, man, if I don't wake up in the morning, it's going to be okay. Just as well. You feel like the casket is just being built around you. You can read verse 13. You can say, that's how I feel. That echoes my heart. There's not a theology book that you can read and make sense of what's happening inside of you. But you can say, I cry to you, oh Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. That doesn't just mean I pray to you. Literally, that means there in, in the original language. My prayer accuses you. It confronts you. He says in verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. 
He's felt this way for years. And nothing has been able to, to make sense of this. And for some of you, you're just like, man, I was just born, I'm just sad. I'm just down. I'm depressed all the time. I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago. He said, I just don't get that. Bible says I have joy in the Lord, so I just do. Be anxious for nothing, and so I'm just not going to be anxious. For some of us in this room, you just don't understand that. He says at the end of verse 15, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. That word helpless there means petrified. It means desperate. It means numb. You ever wake up in the morning or in the middle of the night and your arm has fallen asleep? And you're just like, what is, what is that thing attached to the, my body? You know, and you, just, you can't do that? That's the way he feels. Like, I'm motionless. I'm lifeless. I'm helpless. I can't do anything. I can't move. I'm numb. I don't feel anything. Then he finishes right there with this section. And, and the reason, at least in, in the ESV, that the word darkness is at the, at the very end of the chapter is because in the Hebrew, darkness is the last word. And that's important because the author wants us to know, I'm going to summarize this in one word, darkness. Boom, that's it. Now, it says, uh, my companions have become darkness. Literally, that means only darkness knows me. So, some commentators have called this the dark night of the soul. This is about as dark, about as bad as it gets. I think where there is hope in this, we know that the Christian life does not mean that we're ever going to be able to come out of this darkness until we see Christ again. For some of you, you're going to live in the middle of that darkness, and you're going to feel that way until you physically die and are able to see Christ face to face. You're like, man, that's really sad. There's incredible hope in that, though, that this life is not supposed to be one Disney movie fairy tale ending after another, and they lived happily ever after. We're not looking forward to these temporary solutions, but we may live the rest of our lives in the middle of darkness, of unexplainable terror and sorrow and pain. That's what I want you to get from Psalm chapter 88. As you pray this, it's okay to not be okay when you pray. But then we have to beg the question, and I want us to walk away with a few things from this passage. Why does God want us to pray our pain? Why is that so important to God? So if it's okay to not be okay when we pray, why does God want us to pray our pain? I think there are several reasons. If you go back and look at the first couple of verses, God wants to hear from us. Now, the author feels like God is, is far away but we know that he's not. God is hearing him. So I would plead with you, friend, to run to God because he wants to hear from you. Don't drown yourself in pills or in alcohol or in entertainment or Netflix or pornography or going on a shopping spree. But run to God. He wants to hear your pain. Secondly, God doesn't just want to hear your prayer, but he wants us to be people of reality and not fantasy. So if you look at the next set of verses, beginning of verse number three, like these are very real feelings. Thinking that a Christian always deals in the realm of happiness and love and peace and calm sets us up as a church 
to be a place where everybody shows up and pretends to be happy, but inside people are broken. That is not reality. That's a fantasy world, and this might as well be another theme park that you go to because it's the happiest place on earth. That's not the body of Christ. Our theme song here is not, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. All right, everybody, smile, smiles on your faces. I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. Hey, well, praise Jesus. If you think that every single part of your life is going to be made happy in this life, then you might as well tear this page out of your Bible. And it's no wonder that when the world looks at us and they say, well, God only works for good things and produces good things, and that when bad things hit, ah, we can't really, ah, we don't really know what to do with that. It's no wonder the, church, the, the world looks at the church and says, no thanks, because the world is struggling. And when we just say, hey, just be happy, just think positive, just, just believe in God, just a little bit of add-on. No. He wants us to live in reality, not in fantasy. It reminds us that God is in control of the chaos. I mentioned a couple times that when you look at verses 6 through 8, he uses that word your or yours six times. We see here a picture of a man who is crying out in the midst of desperation. You know what the Bible calls that? You know the word that we use for that, crying out from desperation? We call that faith. This should be a welcome reality to us. Should you find yourself in the middle of darkness, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, whatever your darkness is, it's possible to have faith and to feel a burden beyond your strength. It's possible to have faith and feel like God is hiding from you. It's possible to have faith and to wrestle with difficult questions. It's possible to have faith, and yet every day with Jesus is not sweeter than the day before. It's possible to have faith, and yet the information that you know in your head is just not making application to your heart. It's possible to have faith and to feel cut off from the favor of God. I'm reminded of men and women from years past, like Spurgeon, like Luther, like Calvin, like Amy Carmichael, like Corey Ten Boom, like Lottie Moon, men and women who, like Jim Elliott, who is like, man, where is the favor of God in the middle of this situation? Yet we're reminded who's in control of the chaos. That's what the author wants us to know. That's why he keeps saying, this is because of God. The next thing that we see, why does God want us to pray our pain? It reminds us that death is our enemy, not our friend. That death is our enemy, not our friend. Revelation chapter 20 tells us this. The very last enemy that God defeats in the end is going to be death. Even after Satan, I was reading through Revelation this morning, what he calls the dragon, the evil one, Satan, the devil, after that is defeated, then death is swallowed up and it is no more. Greek thought, so about a thousand years ago, 1500 years ago, this thought came in, or sorry, 2500 years ago, this thought came in that, oh, death is just another part of life. And now we don't have funerals anymore. Now we have the celebration of life services. 
It's like, oh, no, no, let's, let's try to think positive. Let's not grieve. But, but friends, w- when Lazarus died, what did Jesus do? Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. We should be grieved over our sorrow, over our pain, over our sickness, over death. Be grieved over that. That's okay. That's the way that you were created because death is not your friend. Death is your enemy. The openness and the vulnerability that we see here from this author, if you look at the second half, God blesses that vulnerability. Probably the best time to learn about God's grace is not when things are going well, but when things are going really poorly. It's like a diamond. You just don't go out in the, in the, in the yard and be like, oh, well, let me go find a, a trove of diamonds. How did these get here? I guess they were just always here. The way that a diamond is formed is because of years and years and decades and centuries, time and pressure pressed onto a piece of coal that forms a diamond. It takes a long time. But we, like this author, should spend time being vulnerable and open, and God will bless that. But lastly, why do we pray our pain to God? Why does he want to hear from us? Because this psalm, like the other ones, they point to Jesus as our only hope. There's no other hope except for Jesus. Now, the psalms are broken up into five smaller books. And actually, in chapter 90, it begins book number three. And this book right here, it ends and it transitions. But that's because the story of, that's told in Psalms is not a chronological story, but, but it shows the pilgrimage of God's people from sorrow to celebration. And that's why Psalm chapter 150, the very last Psalm in the Bible, is about all of the nations gathered around God's throne singing praises to him. That's the story, that's the narrative that's told through the book of Psalms. And so some authors would look at this and say, well, this is the darkness that the Israelites were experiencing. And, and that's true. In, in chapter 90 is when it, it begins to kind of brighten up. And Moses begins the Psalms in Psalm chapter 90. And they begin to look a little better. But not only do we look back and say, this is this temporary celebration, this temporary happiness and joy that the people of Israel were experiencing but we can look to Jesus and know that he is the ultimate celebration and it's ultimately in him that we find joy. He's the one who ultimately sacrificed for us. So wherever you find yourself this morning, if you're like, no, I've got joy, I've got happiness, me and Jesus are walking hand in hand, that's fantastic. I'm good with that. If we did sing, if you're happy, you know it, you could clap your hands. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But just understand the reason that you can sing that is because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ took the cup of the wrath of God on your behalf. That's why we can experience true, lasting joy. The second fruit of the Spirit, by the way, we are to have joy. That doesn't mean things always work out really well. Next week, Jeff is is preaching Psalm chapter 1. and He talks about blessed is the man, happy is the man, joyful is the man. Is that a command? Is it good? Yes, absolutely. But we're not always there. But when we are there in the midst of that darkness, Matthew chapter 27 says says this. This will be up on the screen. But Matthew 27, here's the fulfillment of, of Psalm chapter 88. Here's what we see. When Jesus was about to die, it says this in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, leme sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? So on the cross, as darkness covered the land, Jesus eternally secured in God the Father. He was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. The debt was paid because of his shed life and blood so that we could be accepted by God. The wrath of God the Father was put on Jesus Christ the Son so that we could experience his love. If Jesus did not if Jesus did not abandon us in the midst of his darkness, why would you think that he would abandon you in the midst of yours? I'll say it again. If Jesus did not abandon you in the midst of his darkness, why do you think he would abandon you in the midst of yours? It's because of his love. It's because of love that he stepped down from his throne, that he identified with us in the pain and the sorrow, being separated from God the Father, being abandoned and rejected so that we could be accepted and loved. That's why he shed his blood. That's why his body was broken. That's why he gave his life for us. It's so that we could experience true life, not here on this earth, but with him forever.